When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. I've been doing this for 10 years. How have I never thought of that? Like that, just a tiny little tweak like that. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. Um, I'm Coach Yasin. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, lead under 11s and 12s coach at Foundation Phase with Watford Football Club, Rob Morris. How's it going, Rob? Yeah, very well, thanks, mate. Nice to hear from you. Brilliant. Um, Rob, you know, I'm not going to waste any time. Uh, get straight into the heart of the conversation. You know, tell us a bit about your journey, where your journey began, how you got to where you got to today, and we'll go from there, mate. Yeah, sure. Um, so, my journey started kind of back at... Um, school really um you know don't really have a playing career or um playing backgrounds that i'd kind of be proud to speak of so um just a you know decent grassroots player um you know you could even question if i was decent or not that people that played with me can um take their own opinions um but so never had any opportunities to kind of play for academy something you know um or anything like that but just loved football it was my you know real real passion big May United fan growing up. Um, she grew up at the time of when the, uh, you know, the glory years, you know, um, like with Sir Alex and Cantona was a huge role model and David Beckham players like that. Um, so football was just my real, real passion. Um, and nothing really kind of lit a fire like watching football or talking about it or playing. Um, even through school, there was nothing really that um, inspired me, you know. So... I always knew that I kind of what have that was my kind of number one passion in life, but it, perhaps it wasn't till later in school, around sixth form time, where I kind of even considered it as a career. So um, it was doing A level PE as part of it was um, we had to take parts of sessions with some of the younger children, and um, one of my PE teachers at the time, a guy called Mike Cook, um, you know, was quite complimentary of the way I came across and um, how I spoke to the lads and kind of said that I'd got a bit of a presence and it was kind of lit a fire in me really where I was just like actually wow that's uh you know not many people have said I'm good at stuff at the time or something that I perhaps enjoy so that was really when I thought actually you know this is something that I might want to investigate further so kind of um looking towards university and future careers um so with his support he was um fortunate enough there was me and a few others um, he put on 
an FA Level 1 course so um, through Watford Community Trust at the time. And um, I think I was really fortunate, maybe perhaps didn't know it back then, but um, Nick Cox, obviously, who's doing very, very well for himself at Man United, he came and delivered the Level 1 course. He was a community coach or um, uh, part of the community programme at Watford at the time. And um, he was probably the first person that I looked at and thought, wow, like as a kind of a, a role model, someone I thought I could actually do that job. That's um, something that I could see myself doing in the future of just the way he was, personality, the way he made people feel um, and just that, that job and what he was doing really stood out for me. So obviously passed my FA level one at 17 and then um, started looking towards potential options. So um Went to university, um, got my FA level two uh, as part of uni, um, but for various reasons, I don't think perhaps it was just I wasn't mentally ready for the academic stuff at the time. Uni didn't work out for me. I think um, hold my hands up. I was much more interested in the party student lifestyle than um, the academic side. So didn't come away with a degree, unfortunately, and ended prematurely for me, which is Still a bit of a regret to these days, but um, came away with FA Level 2 and um, a couple of other Level 1s in different sports. So kind of came back from uni for Level 2 and then um, started just applying for part-time jobs. Um, so um, had a couple of conversations with local grassroots clubs and a couple of other community clubs, but um, Watford were the one that came back with an outstanding community programme at the time, um, local to me, well-organised, well-run. So I, my first kind of coaching job was with Watford and the Community Trust. Um, so started with that. So kind of really started out with um, school, after-school clubs, uh, PPA cover, um, doing literally bits of everything, social inclusion. And then um, it progressed into development centres, which was a kind of slightly more advanced. Um, from then, from that platform, I applied to get on my UEFA-B again, at quite young. This was when the, uh, back in the days where the UEFA-B was regionalised. So I was able to get on one with the Hearts FA relatively early on. And um, so by the age of 21, I'd kind of got my UEFA-B licence and I was set up in a, a position to go. And just going to build on from that, you know, you're talking about your experiences working in a range of environments, particularly, you know, with grassroots and working in, you know, PE, PE sessions and stuff like that. Would you mind just sharing a bit of insight around how much of that experience has helped shape your, I guess, your journey and your your thoughts and your and the ways in which coaching should look at the moment? And would you, you know, obviously working as a foundation phase coach at the moment, would you say that's an area that you uh, consider yourself a specialist in now, having worked in... In the, within those age groups for a number of years now? Uh, yeah, I think the um, the grounding of, of actually, or the experience of working within schools um, has it, been huge and it's really, really shaped me. I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm a specialist, but it's perhaps the, um, the age group that I'm most comfortable with or had the most experience with over the last few years. So kind of, if I go back to the um, kind of previous answer if you like um as i progressed on from working at watford um part-time um a guy i met through a working in one of the development centers a guy that's really really helped me out across the um my 
career and journey. I still work with him now, still a very good friend of mine. Uh, a guy called Gavin Brown was setting up a um, coaching company. Um, it was just called Coaching the Community. It actually came under like the Hayes and Yedin banner, but it's gone on to become PSD, Primary Sport and Development, which is a huge now coaching company kind of across uh, West London. Middlesex, those those kind of areas, and um, he, I got chatting with him, and he offered me a full time role. So from twenty one, I was coaching full time. It wasn't necessarily football, um, but it was in schools five days a week, doing you know PPA cover, PE lessons, and I think that experience in itself, I actually did that job. Um, you know, Gav was such a good, um, I suppose, mentor and um, boss, if you like, even though he was perhaps a friend. Um, I actually ended up doing that job for nine years um, through until I, I got a full-time job um, at Watford. So um, that experience in itself was huge for me. I think um, working with a class of 30, you have every type of child you could think of across the year. The ones that love it, the ones that don't want to be there because we're in school, the, one, the, the silly ones, the talented ones, the, the middle-of-the-road children. Um, so understanding, learning how to deal with these different types of personalities, how they respond, um, controlling a class, um, making sure that you're trying to give every person in that class the best opportunity to learn, you know, to meet the outcomes of the lesson, um, to work through a, you know, use the direction of the school, the school's philosophy um, on what they thought PE and sport was, you know, so much cross transferable skills that I learned back then um, that I still use now day to day in an academy environment but that for me that grounding and those experiences were, were huge definitely you know you talk there about you know working in that role for nine years so you might just share a bit of you know a bit of story in terms of how you ended up in your current role then yeah um, so I continued when I got the job working with um, Gav and the other lads at PSD um, that became a full-time job. However, I wanted to just continue my association with Watford. Obviously, my ambition was always to work in football full-time. So it was kind of the daytime stuff, the PE lessons, the you know after-school clubs was paying the bills and then the evening sessions. So it started with social inclusion sessions. Then it progressed on to development sessions and then kind of as I progressed on and people knew me and began to trust me and I used to uh, build relationships with um, staff members um, more doors began to open up so it went from say development centers to then the next step was working for the ladies team so I was fortunate enough to be in a really good group of staff and working in the ladies setup for two and a half seasons so likes of John Solomon, who's now um, works full-time on the FA Female Pathway, Chris Thurston, who is um, works as player liaison in the academy at Arsenal, Carlin Edgar, who's full-time at Watford. These guys um, were work I was working with back then, and they, you know we had a really, really close group of um, friends and staff, and that was a really exciting time in my career um, or in my journey. So I started as a, um, me and Carlin were joint development team managers. It was called reserve team back then, but it's now known as a, 
the development team. So I took that team for two and a half years, um, one of the seasons. So 2012-13, we won the league. Um, so again, these, these were the days of competitive football. Don't see that as much in my current role now, but, you know, learned so much in that, um, in that role. And then again, build relationship with some people. Um, people began to trust me and then a part-time role in the academy came up um, in the 2013-14 season. So applied for that. Fortunate enough, there was a lot of previous colleagues in the club that um, I knew. So, um, you know, when I had, when that opportunity came, you know, based on those previous relationships I built and again, that going back to that trust, which I think is really important. um, I was fortunate enough to get that role. And then again, continued working with PSD, my role increased. So then I began to work alongside teachers as the sports premium funding came into schools around that time. So that the direction of school sport changed slightly. So rather than the traditional sense of PPA cover, where we would take the class um, for their PE lessons, when um, the teachers did their marking and their PPA cover, um, with the sports premium funding off the back of the Olympics, um, the schools went in a different direction as they wanted their staff to be upskilled. So my role changed slightly. So I was fortunate enough to be in and kind of take a bit of a lead on that in regards to writing some of the content, the syllabus for the company um, and deliver that in school. So working alongside teachers. So that was perhaps my kind of first um, interaction of actually working alongside coaches, if you like, if you, you know, teachers and coaches, there is a better, you know, a definite definite um, crossover, but obviously they are considered teachers, but, you know, for, for that hour a week, they were sports coaches. So I was helping them upskill themselves in that. And then um, again, time passed and a um, opportunity, a full-time opportunity came up and I was fortunate enough to get that role. And I'm now moving into my fourth season in the full-time role that I'm in now. It's just on your role there, you know, lead 11s and 12s. Would you mind just talking to, talking to a bit about what that role entails in terms of, you know, on a day-to-day specifically, um, more, but more specifically regarding the transition from those players going from the foundation into the youth development phase and what you consider to be some of the key things that you're looking out for. Um, and, you know, if, if, if at all, how much of your role plays a part in, I guess, the development of some of the coaches working under, underneath you in that respect? Yeah, so... Um... Just to provide a bit of context, what we do is we have four lead phase coaches, each look after two age groups. So nines, tens, elevens, twelves, thirteens, fourteens, and fifteen, sixteen. So we split our foundation phase and YDP um, at the end of under twelves. So nines to twelves is our what we consider the foundation phase. So within that, I uh, work in a group, including myself. There's four coaches um, in the elevens and twelves. So we have a lead twelves coach, a lead 11s coach, and then a kind of floating assistant that floats between the two. Um, I am kind of responsible for what the programme looks like from, you know, obviously have to fit in with the direction of the club. So we have, a you know, a playing philosophy. We have a curriculum like, you know, academies do. But my remit is how that we bring that to life. Um, using the staff and then the players um, see what the games program looks like within for my age group um, what the tours are um, you know the reviews um, 
the match analysis. So I kind of lead that lead that part of the program. So traditionally, it's the looking at a bit of a transition from small sided football to what you'd say is the under 12s, their first introduction, if you like, of 11 v 11. Um, mm. I think that's important that we don't just play 11 v 11 at under 12. We have to still is a big, big, um, in my opinion, is still need massive amounts of variety within that games program, just because of all the different needs of the, the players within that group. Um, and, you know, just because someone has decided that under 12s is the right time to play 11 v 11, it doesn't mean that's the right time for everyone. So we do have, um, you know, it's perhaps starting to get them on the stepping stones towards that um, part of, or stepping stones towards that type of football, which is, you know, very different from your five-a-side, five, five-a-side, 77s. So it's kind of giving them that introduction to that um, and hopefully preparing them for the next step for them, which would be progression into the youth development phase. Definitely. You know, just talking to that, you know, around that progression into youth development phase, obviously working with the 11s, you know, you're talking about the games programme. How important is it, obviously, within that games programme to start to, I guess... Um, towards the back end of that 11 season in particular, start to embed some of that 11 v 11 fixtures and I guess what would you say are the key tra- key factors that the players then need to start considering within that as well? So I think with the um, for the under-12s as they move, move into that um, youth development phase, I would say that some of the key things is actually just I think what the big fear is of sometimes is I've played 9v9, but I've never played 11v11. Actually, it's really breaking down what the real differences are because it's not a mm. huge deal of differences. It just might be, for example, if you played a 2-4-2, now you might play a 4-4-2. So it's just actually there's two new fullbacks in that you didn't have before. But mm. the, you know, you're still playing with a front two, you're still playing with a midfield four, still playing with a two central defenders and a goalkeeper. So it's actually trying to make them believe or make them familiar with actually you have done this before. You've done it loads and loads and loads of times. But just just because it says 11 v 11 and the pitch is slightly bigger, don't think it's or try not to think that it's something totally alien to you. Because yeah. a lot of the situations you will come up against or that you have come up against, should I say, um, will be prominent in the 11 v 11 so I think that's if you have a system of play or playing principles that remain the same regardless of the format that for me is the best preparation so it shouldn't matter necessarily if you play in 5v5 7v7 9v9 11 v 11 out of balance in balance whatever the format is if your principles are consistent and the messages are consistent and you just add in additional players onto that pitch. Mm. And just within that, you know, obviously then just talk to, the, I guess, how important it is for foundation phase coaches in particular working in maybe the 7v7 and the 9v9 game format, how important it is for them to still relate what's happening on the pitch to maybe the 11, 11v11 stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations, especially when it comes to the qualifications in terms of the A licence and even, you know, maybe not so much the B licence, but in the A licence in particular, about how, how necessary how necessary it is for a foundation-based coach to maybe go and pursue an A-licence and the fact that it is traditionally 
geared around the 11 v 11 game. You know, being a foundation phase coach yourself, obviously, you know, you've done your A license a few years back. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think the game is the game, isn't it? So we ultimately know they're going to end up playing 11 v 11 at some point. You know, whether that's 12s, 13s, 14s, whenever that may be, you know, if, if they are to stay on the journey, stay on the path, the, the game is an 11 v 11, 11, 11 game. So I think it's relevant to use it as a tool to, for, their con, for some context for that learning yeah. and understanding, I think it's massive. Um, so you can, but what the way I look at it is within a particular format, you're kind of zooming in and zooming out. So actually, you know, 7v7 and 9v9 is the same 11v11, but you're just zooming in, you're just making that pitch smaller and the amount of players, but the situation. Um, so it's, yeah, it's important to use it as a, a tool for learning the game and as a reference point absolutely um but it doesn't mean they need to play it because in uh, in the foundation phase we want them to master the ball that key stages of learning in regards to their techniques um their 1v1 battles their you know their fluency of movement you know their decision making all of those things that we want to embed and get them as high as possible, give them as many opportunities as possible, just simply can't happen within the 11v11 mm. game because you, you, you're taking away those touches, you're taking away those learning opportunities, those decision-making um, chances. But it should definitely be used, I think, as a reference point to just, learn. You know, just while we're on the topic of the qualifications and whatnot, obviously there's been a lot of changes over the recent years in particular. Um with the way that the courses are being delivered and how they're being assessed more specifically. What are you, you know, a lot of people would suggest, and I've had plenty of conversation with people around this, that the qualification now are much more geared around potentially the other three corners away from maybe the technical, tactical stuff. Um, and traditionally, obviously, a lot of coaches will be coming onto this course to maybe obtain and, I guess, develop their understanding of the technical, tactical aspects. What are your thoughts on that and how, you know, how would you suggest that maybe coaches potentially do go about maybe developing some of the technical tactical stuff now that there seems to be, I guess, certainly from a tutor delivery perspective, less emphasis on that, if that makes sense. That's a good question, um, because I can only really go off the courses mm. that I was on. I was kind of did the, um, the older version of the A licence, if you like, where it was heavily um, around the 11v11 yeah. 11 11 game. Um, and it was high on the technical and tactical demands. It was a kind of test of what you know, if you like. I would, I think it's good that we're coming away from that. Um, but for someone that wants to improve in that area, my biggest piece of advice, I think, would be to watch other people work, to watch, go and watch good coaches. That, If you want to learn the 11v11 game, watch coaches that work in the 11v11 game. For me, it's, you know, get in, ask questions. If you've got that... Um, platform to do so not everyone does but if you you know but there's so much resources online on youtube um you know there's a lot of good content there's a lot of bad content as well out there but there is a lot of yeah. good content out there for, so to go and research and like anything i think if you want to learn something it's like if you want to learn a new language um you can either talk to someone in that language like go and watch them and work with them and surround yourself in it or you can go and learn it yourself you can learn online you can do courses um, so there is certain ways to do it, but for 
for me, the way I found best is watching good coaches work. And I've been very fortunate in my journey to be surrounded by some really, really good coaches. And I've learned huge amounts. Brilliant. And kind of just, you know, just to kind of build on that then, you know, when you talk about work, working with other coaches, learning from other coaches, throughout your journey then, would you say you've had any major influences, possibly in the form of maybe a mentor, both, you know, whether it be formally or informally, or even just a, I guess, a, a critical friend in that respect? And, you know, what would you say is some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from them? Yeah, I have been fortunate enough to have some mentors, um, but like, as you mentioned, kind of formally and informally, I think as I was, when I was younger, um, they were more kind of informal and people that, um, you, you could use the term like role models or people maybe I looked up to um, and people whose kind of work I would follow because perhaps I saw some of my values in the way they presented themselves and how they treat people and um, delivered their work um, but fortunately I've been really fortunate in the last couple of years I'm actually on the yeah. ECAS course um, for people that aren't familiar with it it's a course run by the Premier League called the Elite Coach Apprentice Scheme and it's a two-year um, degree and it's basically to the aim of it is to work in all the areas that aren't technical and tactical so to work on yourself your, your emotional intelligence your understanding of self, how to build goals. And as part of that, um, every candidate on the course gets two mentors. And these, my two mentors, so a guy called Mark Mapletoft, who was just until very recently um, a coach at Harlequins. So previously first team coach for 10 years, then he moved into a different role into the academy. And now he's just joined the England um, international rugby setup and a lady called Marion Howard, who's a business psychologist. And they've helped me no end. Um, you know, if I start with Mark, he's been able to come in and watch some sessions. And I've been fortunate enough to go and watch him work. And um, it's really good for a non-football person. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a big football fan. But from a professional point of view, from a non-football person to come in and actually watch me as a coach and, and give me some critique without a great deal of well, so it's essentially some element of bias isn't uh, it if, you know. yeah without the bias sorry that was the word I was after without the kind of football bias you know in terms of methods that he may or may not prefer so one of the things he came to me and said was um, just, I was watching it was just a technical session with an under 11 group and one of the warm up activities we were doing was a real simple one I'm sure lots of coaches done was just a a throw in and pass back little get warm up game so the boys would run up to a server server would throw it into them they would take different types of touches and serve it back into their hands as they were doing various dynamic movements to get themselves warmed up and you know speaking to him after the session he was like why would you get them to pass it back to the player's hands to the server's hands he's like if you're taking a throw in surely a player coming in would set it back to their feet he really works around like purposeful practice. That's his big thing is everything should have a purpose. And I was just like, it was one of those little moments. It's like, I've been doing this for 10 years. How have I never thought of that? Like that, just a tiny little tweak like that. So that term purposeful practice has really stuck with me. And actually something that when I'm planning sessions now and I'm looking at the real detail, what's the purpose behind it? You know, is this, are these movements game specific? Is this, no, not everything will be, you know, especially in foundation phase when we're looking at ball mastery, but 
you know, it might have other outcomes, but to, as often as possible, can we have things that are purposeful to the game? That's going to help them become a better player within that game. Hopefully, one day leading to eleven. I think the key 11. thing you touch on there about that, you know, it being purposeful and it is the that element of as often as possible. Because I think there's obviously there is an element in it um, where you might need to, I guess manufacture certain situations just to create, recreate a, you know, an element of repetition on a specific thing, which means that you might have to trade off some of that purposeful aspect to, to kind of balance out that or increase the number of repetitions you want in a particular area. But I think as often as possible is the key. I think certainly from my perspective, you know, I, I've recently having a conversation with another coach around this and how to, how to engage or how to inch involve goalkeepers effectively within the context of a, of a group session without isolating them or, or just having them as bodies in the session, essentially. And, you know, it's just different things about how the, maybe the goalkeeper serves the ball. If you know, a goalkeeper can be the server rather than just playing the ball in right, maybe challenging that goalkeeper to use particular techniques that you'd expect them to use within a game rather than just serving a ball in, if that makes sense. And I think even just those little things over time will just give them all the extra repetitions they might need and that could make a difference in terms of them going from one level to the next, if that makes sense. Yeah, and no, I think that's probably an even better example of the one I used. But now I think purposeful practice that kind of that one little nugget from that mentor on one day, even just in a little warm up practice. Of- Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Done, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. Or, you know, um, it, it's just massive. So for me, the mentors have been huge, um, you know, and it's probably haven't really understood how huge until I've got slightly older. Definitely. And you said you touched on that you had a second uh, mentor there that, on your ECAS program. Yeah. So um, a lady called Marion Howard, she's a business psychologist. Um, she's, for me, absolutely brilliant. So she comes from a, you know, doesn't come from a sporting environment at all. She's all about the person. So, um She'll come watch a session or she'll have a little chat with me and I can, it's almost like counselling when, when we have these meetings. I'll go, ah, oh, this, got this problem, this problem, this problem. And then she will just break everything down and make it really simple and give me some models. Um, one of the things that I've been working on her is use of language. So rather than saying, don't do something, spinning it round, saying, literally saying the outcomes that you do want. So being very specific with the words that you mm. say because if i said to you uh yes don't pass it like that or don't use your um laces when you're passing whatever all you've heard is laces yeah. when you're passing you know rather than saying yes get nice clean contact on the back of the ball every blade of grass be more specific with what you want rather than what you yeah. don't want now again maybe a technique isn't the best example it's like you know, if you, for example, that marking in the corner, you say, don't you lose your man. The instruction would be stay yeah. with your man. Do you know what I mean? So just and real how, specific. How important do you think it is within um, that just to kind of maybe add that can you bit to the start of that, that instruction? Because I think, you know, stay with your man as a direction 
could it can also can potentially be quite daunting and I guess uh, intimidating for some players to kind of take on board as an instruction. Whereas if you said it as a, a can you, I think there might be more a bit more engagement. I don't know what are your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially with the you know players in the mm-hmm. in the foundation phase, um, I think you make a really good point there that um, they are learning and they are trying. So the you know can you do this? Try this. Sh- show me this rather than don't do that don't do this or must do this um, because ultimately you want them to be able to express themselves or, you know, we try and create an environment where it's okay to get it wrong. They're not um, trying to survive relegation. They're not trying to get in Champions League places or win, win titles. They are learning and trying to improve and trying to better themselves. So it's that, again, a really good example of yourself is that specific language, just tweaking one or two words, the way that information is then taken by a child or a young person can be have a huge different outcome even though you're asking them to Definitely. do the same you thing know, just touching on that then how important do you think it is then to involve them in that process of that, that learning so obviously you know, there's a lot of talk currently about you know, things being player-led or versus coach-led and whatnot but i think a lot of people often maybe miss un- or, or confuse rather player-led and player-centred. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, my understanding of the two different ones, player-centred, is you are doing everything you can for the player. So, the player is at the centre of your Uh thought process. And then player-led is the player who basically makes all the choices, makes all the decisions. Um, So, I think it's good somewhere to get a balance of both. Um, what we don't want to do, again, it, I put it, one of the ways I like to look at things is, or when I'm going about something is, how would I feel if I was in that position? So if we're setting targets with players, so if I had a boss that was setting me targets and said, you've got to do this, this and this, I would respect his opinion as a boss and his expertise and probably go away and do those things. But I might need a bit more help, a bit more guidance and a bit more clarity and probably the margin of error would be a lot greater I'd probably get it wrong a lot more but if that boss sat down with me and said what do you think let's see if we can this all that's a good point why don't you try this and we worked on those things together and actually um so there was a bit of buy-in mm. between ourselves I would definitely then I, I think be in a much better position to succeed so we've made a big change this year where we are having meetings again in this lockdown period over zoom with the boys to create their targets themselves with our guidance. So player-led in terms that they've got some or a certain degree of what they think based on their previous year. So we want to consolidate the previous year's learning for them, what they think they want to get better at and improve on. But also a player-centered approach from us is actually that we're going to put, you you have to, or you understand that what we're doing is best for you, but we also want to help you with our expertise and give you some guidance based on similar players we've seen with your attributes that went on and did this or um, some coaches that have actually been through that experience themselves mm. as a player. So I, I think it's really important to find the right balance. Different people are going to need the, the scale at different ends of it, different ends of the spectrum. But I think it's important to find the right balance between the two for the individual. So just on that, then you talk there about you know, the players maybe setting their own targets and reflecting on their own journeys in terms of where they think they are and hopefully where they want to achieve. 
um, or rather get to, what are some of the things that within that you feel like are crucial for, uh, to help the player in, uh, I guess, developing an effective self-awareness tool or self-reflection tool? I think, um, again, we are, we've put in with a self-reflection tool and targets are perhaps one becomes for the other, doesn't it? I suppose what we've done this year is probably understood that we still need, we still have a lot of work to do yeah. in that area. So it's perhaps this lockdown period has been able for us as a group of staff and a group of coaches being able to open up a lot of dialogue around that and um, come up with a, quite a few ideas around actually how we can help the players move forward. So what we've done is, like I said, we've, now putting in place these conversations around their targets so they are within a framework so it is a that we've asked the boys to come up with a season-long target from based one technical one physical tactical psychological and a social you know based around the fa's four corner model but we obviously put a tactical one in there because we want to teach them the the game and give them that context around why they do and what they do because it is for the for the yeah. game itself um we then, what we are looking to bring in next season is a reflective diary for the boys. So looking at what they, how they're feeling before games, during games, after games, hot reflection after a game, then going to watch it back um, and then having a bit of a comparison between the two. Um, so just getting them to actually, and then, after a certain amount of time, we'd like to see hopefully there are some trends. So rather than just kind of what they think, actually, by the use of a diary and they're writing it down week in, week out, there should be some evidence there as to a bit of a picture they can build up yeah. of themselves. Obviously, this can then help us with their reviews and their ongoing process. But again, it's just to give them that buy-in or to get the buy-in from them and give them an opportunity for them to show us what they think. Uh, again, it might, you know, when you're talking to a nine and ten year old, we, we can't take what they think for gospel, but we can make them feel yeah. like we're listening and we are understanding them. Um, and again, building that relationship um, to then give our guidance to help them improve in the areas they want to improve on, in the areas we feel we can help them improve on in order to Definitely. make them better. Within that, you, you touched there about not taking their word as gospel, but ultimately they are at the heart of it. And I think the important thing there is for us to understand it's not about necessarily taking their word as gospel, but understanding if, if this is where they're at, we can start from in order to get them to where we want to get them to, or where we can, where we feel that we need to get them to, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's, there's so much stuff you, which is going to come from this. Again, I'm only talking about talking um and that's something we haven't done yet but based on evidence we've seen from other clubs doing it and previous experiences from some of our staff that have done it prior we believe this is going to be a good idea i think is you know even if what they wrote down as a nine or ten year old was absolute waffle and just complete nonsense the fact that they're writing it down and they're brave enough to show it and share it and we're willing to listen that's only going to build that, those social mm. bonds um so there's various outcomes from it um and again getting them to reflect you know it's okay for you know for children to be wrong like in a when i used to work in school if you ask a question and someone puts their hand up it's okay to say no that's the wrong answer 
you know, you are the expert, if you like. You know, we do have a certain degree of experience to draw back on to then help them. Yeah. So I think, like I say, there's there's various outcomes and methods to to help and guide them, but it's just about getting that buy-in from them. Like if, like from anyone, uh, you know, and I go as an adult, if I'm if I have certain targets that I want to work towards, the men, when I've been fortunate enough to work with mentors and you know people at the club, they don't just tell me; they get my buy-in. Ask me what what do I think. How did I feel in this situation? What could I have done better there? What's my learning from this situation? You know, rather than just being told all the Definitely. time. Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, speaking of development and I guess being, you know, getting, getting to the, the best possible outcomes, you know, what would you say are some of the things that, you know, hopefully keep you inspired and keep you motivated to keep improving for yourself? I think when I'm at my best, I can see the is when I can see the opportunity for growth. Um, you know, when I'm at, when I'm really inspired, when I'm really motivated, I can see change happening and occurring either in myself, either with players, either within, within the environment. Um, you know, it's not all the time, and I'm going to be honest. I'm a human, and you know, some days I am significantly less motivated than other days. And those are days where you have to show that resilience and, you know, been able to work through. But when I'm at my best, I think it's where there's the opportunity to grow. Now, that might be, like, say, for selfish reasons. Um, you know, when you've come back from a, a course and you've got some really good content and you want to show this and share it and challenge it to develop your understanding. Or you can see a real improvement within an individual's performance or a collective performance or... It might be working as a group of staff. We've got a project that we want to get off the ground, for example, like this reflective diary, or, you know, there's been previous examples in in the past, but where, where it's, I think I'd just like to see things grow and improve and get better. And I, I know that when I'm not seeing that, I know in myself, and it's an area for my own development, is when things are a bit stale or things are a bit flat, I, I can get in a bit of a rut. So, I, you know, it's... Building that self awareness, yeah, to just keep keep going. Just in contrast to that, and you talk there about you know some of the, I guess the challenging moments, um, or rather to build on it, rather some of the challenges. What would you say some of the biggest challenges you face in journey are, and you know if you've been able to, have you overcome them, or is it something you're still battling with now? Yeah, I think um, I wouldn't say there's been huge, huge challenges. I think every day, you know, you've worked in football or currently working in football yourself, you know, there's every day presents a new set of challenges because you, you know, you don't know what mood other people are going to be in. You don't know what, um, how the boys are going to be. There, there might just be stuff that happens totally out of your control that you've got to deal with. You know, I've got a long list of things that, you know, have gone wrong. For example, like, you know, people being late, people, you know, whatever. And those that work in football will know what I'm talking about, you know, Things can change at a drop of a hat. So I would say a bit of resilience and actually it's okay when things go wrong, but as long as you learn from it, if you make a mistake, it's okay. Um, and just be humble to, you know, if things go wrong, hold your hands up and go, actually, that, you know what? Um, I got it wrong that time or my organisation wasn't particularly good this time. Um if it's something in your control, if it's a 
issue out of your control, then focus on what you can control. So, for example, if issue with transport, for example, we're going to an away game and the traffic is really, really bad. You know, there's an accident or something like that. There's no point getting angry that we might potentially be late for kickoff. No point at all, because we can't control that. What we can control then is what happens next is talking to the opposition, calming the boys down. You know, they might be agitated because they're stuck in a minibus, whatever. Um, talking to the opposition, look, really sorry, this has happened. You know, we'll get there as soon as we can, rather than just moaning and whinging about it, you know, stuff like that. I'm very much focused on what I can control. If things go for me, brilliant. You know, if it, but if there's factors that are out of my control, then, you know, I can't necessarily have an impact on those outcomes. Mm. And, you know, just in contrast to, to that now, that in terms of your challenges, having to think back about your journey, what would you say is, is a time when you believe you did your best coaching? Best coaching? <sighs> uh, perhaps when I look back at, it's difficult to perhaps say the best coaching because I'd like to think I'm a better coach now yeah. than I was years ago, just because of the experiences and the environments that I've been in. And, uh, you know, every time you, you work, you should hopefully get a little bit better. Even if it's 1%, you should be getting a little bit better. The most, perhaps one of the times I'm most proud of would be when I'd look back at the um, time I spent with the ladies as the development team manager on that year that we won the league. Um, you know, anyone that's worked in reserve football or development football, whether that's as a 23s coach or reserve team manager, know that there's massive challenges about that transition from youth football to the first team. You might lose players that you're preparing for a game for. You, you know, the first team might come and pick your best two players. Um, you, you know, there was so much that I learned from them, but I think was about being consistent as a person and consistent in my approach. Um, and actually, for the girls at the time, knowing or them knowing that I will do as much as I can to help them. And then once they know that, once they know that I care, they are then ready to listen to what I've got to say. Um, you know, I kind of use that saying, people care what you know when they know yeah. that you care. I know. And that's when I look back, even when I kind of didn't know that, saying or was didn't even realize that that was a way of working it's only kind of you know since moving on from a few years ago i've been able to like reflect back on that period and go actually do you know what that was i'm proud of who i was back then um and i hope that's stayed with me those experiences have stayed with me uh, and i've tried to be as consistent as a person as i can um since then brilliant you know just want to kind of take you to another another area of the culture world now and we've all got them um, just be interested in what your biggest bugbear is like when it comes to coaching. Yeah, <laughs> there's probably probably quite a few, but I think the um, biggest one for me, I think, is criticism without knowing context. So I think it's really easy for someone at any level to come along, you know, look at a session and go, I'd change that, that's no good, that's crap. Or to look on Twitter and go, oh, what is this, that's another session I, know, I wouldn't do that wouldn't do that but without understanding the context of what they're seeing um you know i like to think or i like to give people opportunities and for them to show and 
show what they do and show what they're capable of and what they really mean when they say something. So rather than me, you know, if I was to walk into the dome at the club and watch one of my, you know, I say my, one of the coaches um, that is in my phase work and I wasn't particularly happy with it, I'm not the type of person that would go and say, no, change, change, change. You know, we'd talk after and go, well, talk to me what you were doing because I might, if I've not seen the planning process or seen the introduction or seen where it was before that or where it's going to, I only see a snapshot. So it's really easy to criticise. Back to you, it's like, all oh, right, so now that makes sense. Now you've explained it. So I think quick, short judgments without understanding context. You know, not people are going to have their own preferences. They're going to have their own biases. Um, and they're going to have, based on their experiences and their knowledge, they're going to know what works for them and what they think is good. But just because it works for you, it doesn't mean mm. it is the best way. Because there's, as we've seen over the last few years in the Premier League, um, you know, and there's so many different ways to play the game we love. So many different ways to coach. So many different ways to play um, as an individual. And that's why this game is so amazing. Definitely, you know, and you talk there about everyone having a different, I guess, way of doing things and in terms of the way they play, possibly the way they deliver their sessions and coach the players and engagement and, you know, the things that we prioritise in terms of our planning. You know, just be interesting to kind of get a bit more, I guess, uh, understanding and depth around what your personal coaching philosophy Um so I've been, I've been fortunate, obviously, I've worked for, um, you know, going into my eighth season at the academy. So my kind of how I work is built within the constraints of how we have to deliver. But my kind of personal philosophy, if you like, is being as supportive as possible. So maximising opportunity for the boys. That's what my overriding factor is when I go into plan sessions. So we have like a planning process um, around achieving the desired outcomes, making sure it's realistic to the game, making sure we're working within, um, you know, certain areas, timeframes, whatever that may be. But my own personal stamp, if I like, when I'm putting on a session is, have I maximised that opportunity for everyone? Has everyone got the best chance there to succeed? Now, whether that might be including differentiation within a practice, you know, if I've got a big physical player they might need to play against someone of the same size or stature to get the best out of them to maximize their opportunity if we've got someone that's perhaps a little bit younger a bit smaller you know how are we that's struggling to get on the ball how are we identifying that problem that they might have to solve so just making sure you're going into the details of maximizing the opportunity for for all involved brilliant you know, I just want to end, obviously, touch you know, you've had a range of experiences now coaching in the various different ranks. Obviously, been at, uh, you come into your fourth uh, year, I think you said there, as your full time coach at Watford now. If, you know, knowing what you know now, having all the experience and, you know, having all the insights that you've got from working alongside other people, pulling on their experiences and taking away some stuff from them, if you had an opportunity to go and speak to yourself back at maybe 17 and again at maybe 21 when you, st- I guess, started to look at things a bit more seriously in terms of the coaching aspect of things what would be a message that you'd want to give yourself? Oof, that is a good question. Um, I think I'd probably say it's, just say to myself, be yourself and that's okay. I think probably what I have done, coming from a non-playing background and, um, you know, not having some of the experiences that some of my colleagues have had, there has been times and probably should have 
brought this up when we spoke about challenges. I've had periods where I've had low confidence, um, in, you know, and question myself, is this the right thing for me to do? Am I good enough? Um, but just, you know, if I could go back and just say, you know, believe in yourself, keep working hard. It's okay to be you. Be comfortable in your own skin. Um, you know, don't try and be anyone different other than yourself. Um, that's probably what I would say to myself because football, there's, I'm privileged to work in full-time football, um, you know, and I generally believe that it is a real privilege. Um, some of the opportunities I've had and experienced and some of the people I've met and worked alongside have been great, but there's been times where there's, it's been challenging. There's been large characters, big egos. And I think, you know, that's not really me. And I've thought, is this the right environment for me? So I would definitely say, and this is, this is a piece of advice I would say to all coaches, is just be yourself, be the best version of you, get comfortable in your own skin, and you'll be okay. Definitely. You know, okay, I guess, you know, it was one of the questions I was going to come on to, and I guess you kind of touched on something there. But I was hoping if you maybe, you know, if you, if you were given 60 seconds now to maybe wrap up a golden nugget for everyone else, what that would be. Is there anything that you can build on within that in terms of what you just said? Yeah, be comfortable. Like, yeah, those um, few little bits I just mentioned there. So be comfortable in your own skin. Um, be the best version of yourself. And a little um, catchphrase or slogan that I like to live by is it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Just be a nice person. And that opens massive doors for you. It's just, well, as we start to wind down now, then, you know, I was interested to know, obviously, now you were talking about being in the, coming up to your fourth year of full-time work within the Watford Academy and whatnot. What would you say is next for Rob Morris, though? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, I think in the in the short term is to finish the ECAS course. Um, so close to finishing that, and hopefully we'll graduate from that. Um, that's you know a massive chunk of work and something that I've been very privileged to be part of and um, certainly be proud to graduate that should I get the opportunity to do so um, but longer term that's something I don't know I'm not someone that necessarily has long-term goals in regards to job roles and stuff like that my job is just with every opportunity I'm given work as hard at it as I can be as hard working as I can be as as good a person as I can and then I don't know what the next door is to open you know I didn't know back then I would be a you know a primary school PE teacher for nine years after doing my level one I didn't know I would become a uh, you know ladies development team manager then progress to academy and then got this job I'm privileged to be in now um, you know I don't know what the future holds I think if I hold too much weight into specific roles and jobs there's again those are outside of my control I'm not in a if I want a particular job it's not because I'm making those decisions it's because I want someone to make that decision on me so I'm either going to set myself up for disappointment or I'm going to get there and then I'm going to be like oh well this is it I'm here so for me it's just keep doing what I'm doing working hard and then who knows what the the next door to open will be again just on a final note then no still not known I guess necessarily where you want to go next with your career but if we maybe fast forward maybe 15, 20, maybe 30 years, depending on how long you wish to stay in the game, I guess, when your career, I guess, eventually comes to an end in the coaching capacity, how would you want to be remembered? What would you want your legacy to be? 
Oh, I've got to try not to sound like David <laughs> Brent. Um, but no, just if I was to, you know, look back and think, if people were to describe what it was like work with me, if they were to say he was a good lad, um, he worked hard, he was good at what he did, I think that would be enough for me. Um, you know, whether that's my peers, if it was from a player point of view, someone that helped him, you know, even made them feel a certain way, encouraged, supported, you know, even if they, you know, I'm very, very aware. And as an industry, it's, we're very aware that not all the boys, in fact, hardly any of the boys are going to make it to the very, very top. But, you know, through their time working with me or in an, envi in an environment I've created, if that's supported them in any way at all, and they will remember that or they'll have fond memories of, um, you know, working alongside me, then that's that's fine for me. Definitely. I think, you know, that sometimes people, I think, often overlook how much of an importance and how much value and, I guess, uh, satisfaction you can get from, I guess, someone like such as an ex-player that you've coached or even a colleague that you might have worked with and, I guess, the impact you could have had them had on them as people let alone as Peter, as I guess coaches or players in that respect I mean I'm certainly you know I've got players who I still speak to that I coached maybe seven eight nine years ago you know that you know yeah. sometimes will give me a call or, or drop me a message and be like you know I just remember that time where you, you did this you know and, and you know just getting that maybe appreciation and gratitude from that you know that that's worth waiting gold you yeah. know what I mean? it's, it's, it's massive this business it's a football business, but we, you know, we're making memories, you know, whether that's tours, training sessions, matches, games, funny memories, sad memories. That's what it is, mm. you know, uh, you know, and hopefully people will look back on those memories that, you know, people that have worked with me or come across me with, with good ones. Brilliant. Well, there you have it guys. Another episode of the coaches network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.